you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. Welcome to By the Book. This is your host for episode 104, Alan Griffith. I'm glad you're with us. We've been talking about the faith. The faith. What is the faith? Well, we have said it's the body of truth that defines Christianity. If you've been listening, you know that we've been talking about the essentials of the faith. We've been talking about those doctrines that you must believe in order to be saved. And we're going to talk more about that today. We're going to go on a little later to talk about the expressions of the faith. And I really have a burden for this issue because that is the the manner of life which properly reflects the foundational doctrine and belief. If you believe certain truths, that should produce a certain way of living. And we're failing in that today, and that's why we are in this series. I hope it's being a blessing to you, an encouragement to you, maybe enlightening you on some things in Scripture, Uh, but I hope it'll also affect the way you live. I want it to affect me in the way I live. I want to get it straight. I want to live in a way that magnifies the Lord. We'll talk more about that. Uh, Before we go on with some of the essentials of the faith, I just want to introduce another text. Last time we talked about 1 Corinthians 16, and uh, I want to talk to you for a few moments about Colossians 2, verses 4 to 8. Listen to it. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. There it is. Paul said to these people, you've received Christ as your Savior, and you need to be established in the faith. He goes on as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What a challenge regarding the faith. And folks, you and I need to be established in the faith so that we don't get spoiled, as it were, through philosophy and vain deceit, the traditions of men, and the rudiments of the world. You and I have to be careful. Christianity is in trouble today. The church is in trouble. And uh, you and I need to think about these things and position ourselves to live for Christ in a way that reflects what we believe. Those two things go together. The essentials of faith and then the expressions of faith, and today too often they are not going together very well in the lives of many. Well, 
We've been talking about the essentials of faith, and I want to move on today and talk about redemption through Calvary. That's where redemption is. The term redeem means to purchase, and we want to talk about that work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to think about basically what happened on that cross. What happened on that cross? Well, to get us started, I want to turn to John chapter 10, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 11. The Lord Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I want you to think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ was not a martyr. The Lord Jesus Christ, even though the Jews put him on that cross along with the, the help of the Romans, but I want, I want us to get this in mind. In reality, in reality, Jesus Christ was not murdered by the Jews and the Romans. He said this, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Let me go on. Verse 12. He that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Verse 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What was going on on that cross? It was Jesus Christ laying down his life for the sheep. Verse 16, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Initially, he's talking about what he was doing for Israel, but then he's talking about the Gentiles. So he says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. That was an anticipation of the church. Verse 17, therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life. There's three times. I give my life. I lay down my life. He goes on. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. The Lord Jesus is saying, I'm not only going to give my life but I have the power to take it again. He was anticipating the resurrection. Listen to verse 18. No man taketh it from me. Nobody is taking my life from me. What about the Jews? What about the Romans? Oh yeah, they were sinning. They were after the Lord Jesus. They're the ones who humanly put him on the cross. But what does he say? He says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, 
and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So I want us to think in those terms as we enter into this discussion of redemption through Calvary. I want us to get hold of the fact that what was happening on that cross was happening by the willingness of the Lord Jesus, and of course, in harmony with the plan of the Father. But the Lord Jesus made it known. Nobody is taking my life from me. Uh, the, The hymn writer put it this way, reflecting the words the Lord Jesus spoke to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. The hymn writer put it this way, he could have called 10,000 angels. Wow, what a great song. But I believe the way the Lord Jesus expressed it to Peter was he could call, I think it was 12 legions of angels. In other words, the Lord Jesus was in charge. The Lord Jesus was in control. Nobody was taking his life. And when you look at that cross and you think about that cross, you think about the fact that this was the plan of God. This was the willingness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption, that term again means to purchase redemption through Calvary. There is salvation in no other way. Well, let me go back to Isaiah 53 because we have some prophetic anticipation of what was going to happen with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm in Isaiah 53. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. It says this, he, and that's prophetically the Lord Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men. And he was. The Lord Jesus came and offered himself as the Messiah and Savior, and men rejected him. It goes on, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. I always marvel of the scriptures that say the Lord Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. Here is the creator who came to mankind to provide redemption, and they did not even know him. But verse 4 goes on. Verse 4 takes us to the cross. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, listen to it, smitten of God and afflicted. What was going on on that cross? The Lord Jesus willingly went to the cross. He laid down his life. But while he was on that cross, and ultimately then into his death, He was smitten of God. This was the work of God. 
This punishment the Lord Jesus endured, it was the Father. Listen in verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What was going on on that cross? What an incredible prophetic testimony we find in Isaiah 53. We get New Testament commentary. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what it says In whom? In Christ. In whom? We have redemption. There's that term redemption. To redeem means to purchase, to buy, to pay a price. This says, in whom, the Lord Jesus, we have redemption. We have been purchased. The verse goes on, through his blood. What a statement. What an explanation. In Christ, we have been purchased, and the purchase price was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find a similar statement over in Colossians chapter 1. It says, let me read beginning in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, that's a reference to the power of Satan. We've been delivered from it and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We now belong to the Lord Jesus. And then verse 14, talking about the Lord Jesus says, in whom, he's the son, in whom, here's our term again, we have redemption. We've been bought with a price. We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So what was happening on that cross? There the Lord Jesus Christ was dying for us. He was dying for the world. He was dying by his own choice he was dying by the will of the Father. He was paying the price for our sin. And in him and in the shedding of his blood is our redemption. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 3 
He says, beginning in verse 23, you probably know this verse, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's us. Doesn't matter how hard we try, doesn't matter how good we are, we continually fall short of the glory of God. We can't make it. But verse 24 says, being justified freely, declared righteous. That's what justification is. Being justified freely by his grace. And we'll come back to that idea a little bit later here. But then it says this, through, here's our term, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How do we get justified? How do we get right with God? How do we get forgiveness? It's all about the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus Christ paying the price that was necessary for us to have our sins forgiven and get right with God. Now listen to verse 25. We're in Romans 3. Verse 25 goes on and says this, whom, talking about Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation. What's that? What's it mean? I'm going to put it in simple terms. God is holy. God is holy. And God cannot receive that which is not holy. And God placed a demand on sin, and you and I are sinners, and sin has to be paid for. You are incapable of paying for your sin. I am incapable of paying for my sin. The only one who could pay for sin was, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, who demands payment for sin, also loved the sinner. So he looks at you. He says, you're a sinner. You're lost. You deserve to go to hell. You're going to go to hell, but but I love you. And he did something about it. He sent the Lord Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, the word translated propitiation here in Romans 3 and also in 1 John 2, we're going to turn there in a moment, is translated in Hebrews by the term mercy seat. Now think about that, mercy seat. What was the mercy seat in the Old Testament? That's where the blood was sprinkled to indicate that the payment of sin was taking place. The Lord Jesus shed his blood that redemption could take place. The mercy seat was where God, as it were, met the high priest right there at that mercy seat where the blood was shed and the blood was sprinkled. So the idea of propitiation is something that satisfies the demand, something that is enough to pay the price. The Bible says the Lord Jesus is our propitiation. Let me read 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, he's writing to Christians, 
My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If you're saved, don't sin anymore. He says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. One of the things the Lord Jesus does right now, he's in heaven, he's at the right hand of the throne of God. When you and I sin, the Lord Jesus is there to be our advocate. The term advocate speaks of a comforter or can speak of a lawyer. So you and I are saved and we sin, and there's the Lord Jesus who says, in essence, I'm going to speak for that person. I'm going to advocate for that person. That person is not going to lose their salvation. That person is not going to go to hell because I paid the price. And that's what verse 2 is all about, 1 John 2 and verse 2. And he, the Lord Jesus, and he is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. And, and this is so important, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow. What incredible truth. What was happening on that cross? The Lord Jesus was dying to pay the price for our sin. The Lord Jesus was dying to purchase us, to buy us, to reconcile us to God. That's what the cross was all about. Remember the Lord Jesus on the cross? He was on the cross for six hours. And at the third hour, darkness covered the whole earth. And it was in that darkness that our Lord Jesus cried out some of the most heartbreaking words you could ever hear. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The darkness was representing the fact that it was at that time, evidently, the Father was laying on the Lord Jesus the sins of the world. He took our sin there on the cross. He was separated, as it were, from God the Father for that period of time. And that's why the, the Lord Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I've often pointed out when I talk about the cross, that when the Lord Jesus spoke the first word from the cross, he said, Father. He referred to his heavenly Father as Father. Father, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the middle of this crucifixion experience, the Lord Jesus cried out, and did not refer to the Father as Father, but cried out as we've just spoken from Matthew 27, 46, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When the time is up, 
the Lord Jesus will speak the last words from the cross. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Between the two references to God the Father as Father, showing that intimate relationship between the Father and Son, even though the Lord Jesus was dying on that cross. But between them was the work of the shedding of the blood and the payment for sin, and the Lord Jesus taking the penalty that you and I deserve. We should be forsaken by the the Father. We should be forsaken by God. We won't be because of Christ. But the Lord Jesus was and cried it out, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know, just before those words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, the Lord Jesus cried out this, it is finished. It is finished. What a wonderful cry, what a wonderful blessing for us. So I want you to think about that cross and what happened on that cross because that's where redemption is. That's where the payment for our sin was made. That's where you and I were purchased. And there is no redemption in anything else. There is no other way to God and to be right with God except the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. No church can save. No good works can save. Nothing can save, and no one can save. Nothing can deal with sin but one, and that being the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, I think it's probably pretty obvious, or it should be at least, that you cannot be saved unless you believe that essential truth. Redemption comes through the cross of Calvary and no other way. Well, we have just a little time left in this episode, but I want to move to another essential of faith, and it's incredible truth, uh, but we don't have to spend a whole lot of time dealing with it, at least in this episode, and that next essential of faith is salvation by grace through faith. So think with me of the wonderful verse, perhaps the best known verse from the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me say just a few words about that incredible verse. God so loved the world. That's amazing. The world was and is in rebellion against God. The world has walked away from God, but God still loved the world. And his love was manifested in this that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. Now, 
the world, folks, is the world. There are some who want to narrow the term world down to describe only what they would call the elect, as if the Lord Jesus Christ only died for a select few. He died for all. He died for the whole world. He is not willing that any should perish. And those who do perish, and multitudes will, will be held accountable for their own unbelief of the truth that God made known to them. Salvation is by grace through faith, based on what the Lord Jesus Christ did on that cross. You and I need to believe. Well, then I go to another familiar text, especially to you if you're a Christian, and it's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Here's what it says, for by grace, oh grace, the kindness of God, the unmerited favor of God, you and I could never deserve salvation. So the text says that for by grace, are you saved, delivered, rescued through faith? Now, that's how you get saved. By grace, the grace of God. And by the way, that grace was extended to us through Jesus Christ on the cross. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that you get grace through the sacraments. And they would say, oh, yeah, you get saved by grace, but you get grace through the sacraments. No. Uh, that is fictitious. That's not true. That's not in harmony with the Bible. The grace of God was extended to us when the Lord Jesus died on that cross, and it is extended to us when we respond in belief. So the text says, for by grace are you saved through faith. What's faith? Faith is belief. Just that simple. Faith is belief. It is believing what you cannot see it is believing what God says. You get saved through faith. And that, and the term that there refers to the salvation, and that salvation, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, our time is gone, but we might come back and talk more in the next episode about salvation by grace through faith. I'm glad I'm saved. I hope you are. Lord bless you. Until next time.